It's time to clip your last good piece and dig in because the runout starts now. We went off into, man, the middle of nowhere to go climbing on a route in the Henry Mountains. We both failed to climb it, but it was, it was extremely exciting. You know, it's a bolted route, but it's, it's was bolted in the olden days. And it just, uh, it reminded me just how much like everything, you know, it, there's like this creep where, you know, everything just gets more convenient more set up, more like manicured for our ease um, and enjoyment, especially in sport climbing. But I climbed, we climbed this old route that had, you know, it was like bolted, but like, you know, 15, 20 feet between bolts on hard climbing. And the clip's not maybe, you know, exactly where you wanted them because it was put up ground up. So took some huge whippers and like you had to work it by taking, taking falls because, I mean, you could also top rope it, I suppose, but which we did a little bit. But on the go, you were just like, yeah, I fell off that move that's 10 feet above me now. I'm hanging on the bolt, and I got to go up there and try it again. Um, I mm-hmm. don't get to play around on it, hanging right where I need to hang or have a dogging bolt or whatever. So, yeah, it was kind of fun. It was a fun little throwback. Cleared the pipes, as it were. Um, that sounds big, so nice to me because I whippers. had the, the complete opposite weekend. <laughs> yeah it's funny i was thinking about that because where we were there was no one no climbers and uh not very many people at all and um i know that the that the the people have left tent sleep and have come back to rifle my god yeah well it's the first (laughs) first weekend of fall of the year and uh it was glorious the weather was perfect um and the canyon was just as busy as I've ever seen it, like to the point where we really considered leaving several times throughout the day. Not only was there no parking left, but people had started parking illegally just in the road, like Mm -hmm. literally blocking half the road um, with their fucking cars. That just, you know, upset me and got me in this grumpy mood. And I was, I was walking around with this scowl on my face I, I don't I don't hide my uh, disdain very well apparently, but um, these two <laughs> two non climbers, but two two giant trucks like F three fifty style trucks like pulled right up in front of me. One of these trucks had a had dogs in the back, like big fucking German Shepherd dogs, and the dogs were wearing ski goggles for some reason, like literal ski goggles, like not like dog goggles, like they were wearing a ski mask. And so I had that confused and kind of like negative look on my face, apparently. But this guy who was probably, you know, could have been, could have fit right in on on, uh, the January 6th riot, hopped out of this truck and got right in my face and was like, what are you looking at? What's, you know, you want to like fight or whatever? And very aggressively. So, Mm -hmm. and um what did I do in that situation, but just turn the other direction and walk away as fast as I could, leaving my wife and two daughters to, uh, to fend for themselves <laughs> with this aggressive jerk off. And of course, actually it was perfect because Jen, uh, diffused the situation where she's, she was like, Oh, he was just laughing about the fact that your dog has ski goggles on or whatever. 
Anyway, I almost got into a fight. I was pissed off the whole weekend. I wish that I was in the, the Henry Mountains enjoying the solitude and beauty of nature. So wait a second. This guy confronted you with your family there? Oh, yeah. No, like fully was in my face trying to fight me because I had a look on my face that yeah. he didn't like. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I talked to someone about last weekend in Rifle um, and she said that it was just a weird and intense vibe. And, you know, what happens with that canyon when, you know, climbers start to flout things like parking and just parking their shit in the way and are standing in the road, it then starts to agitate people like uh, your gentlemen and or locals like true rifle locals who have come up to enjoy the park. And it it becomes like a serious kind of... um like weird little tinderbox of awaiting aggression. She also told me of an incident where some folks had taken camping from some climbers, you know, they had their, their paid stub there and like, you know, had taken their van into the canyon. So there was nobody there and some ATVers took it over and wouldn't give it back up and the camp host wouldn't do anything about it. And so this dude actually, and I think this is great. He went in and got cell service and called the cops and the cops had to come up and, you know, and, and I would say that, you know, this is definitely like a climber issue, you know, to be in there and just flouting the parking rules and things like that. But at the same time, like, it seems like the camp hosts are kind of hands off right now and maybe siding against the climbers a bit um, if they refuse to do anything about that camping issue. So, you know, it, it kind of like that's what happens, you know, if, if, if nobody's doing anything about anything, then it's just going to fall apart and We've had years where the camp hosts were super solid, had great relationships, but also, you know, kept things tightened down. And, and when they're hands off, it just does go kind of haywire up there. I mean, it was like, it was maxed out. Like it was like fully, there was too many people there. And yeah, Mm -hmm. you you know, just to echo your point, it's not just a a park for climbing. There's like picnic spots and people come up and, and, you know, barbecue and enjoy the, you know, the, the park. And you can't do that if there's, if there's so many climbers and they're all just like everywhere. And I, yeah, I mean, I had half a mind to go out into self-service and call the cops on just to start dishing out tickets to people who are like just parked badly, like illegally in the middle of the road and like standing next to their, like there's some people who were, um, their car was like sticking out, you know, halfway through the road they had their tailgate open and they're just standing in the road with their helmets on eating peanut butter and like, (laughs) like taking up the other half of the road with their bodies. And so I found that to just be annoying. And I hope this isn't just doesn't, this was just a freak occurrence and this doesn't pretend what every weekend is going to be like out there. We're a locust. Um, and that's, and it's been, it's interesting to me because it's, in my opinion, it's been a really quiet summer. Mm -hmm. Um, there's been, weekends where there has been plenty of parking and the weekdays have been completely quiet and it's like it literally is like the swarm turned up about a week and a half ago right. or two weeks ago and i you know when i i made that joke like they they've come from tent sleep and honestly it feels like that's like kind of what happens is that you know there's this weird I don't know what what's the word. I'm, it's sort of like this group think where herd mentality. Every, yeah, where everybody does move around like this giant herd seasonally, and it's always been that way. But there's just so many climbers now that 
you know, it's like, oh, where are you going? Oh, I'm going here. Oh, I'm going to go there too. And oh, why don't you guys go there? And it, you know, it even happens at walls. Well, the, like the cleanup party places. is next weekend. Let's go for yeah. that. Yeah, I know. That's, I mean, anyway. I think that there is some, something there that the, just the fact that there's going to be a party this week, you mm-hmm. know, cleanup party or whatever it is. Right. Um, yeah. Brings in go bring, and... brings in all these jerk offs from everywhere. Sorry if you're <laughs> one of the jerk offs. I'm one of the jerk offs too. But if people go in there and they and they just flout, like I said, the parking and you know there there was attempts to try to keep some of those um, areas where there's picnicking. Like there's been years where the camp hosts were were you know trying to say, hey, climbers don't park in there. That's you know for we're going to try to reserve that for picnickers. If people are just flouting those things, it it just compounds because it pisses off the camp hosts they don't have actually the authority to do much about it um because they can't give a ticket or anything they can only ask and and then it pisses off the locals and it pisses off the rednecks and you know and it pisses off other climbers because we live here and we know the fallout from three four weekends like this in a row is that it it engenders more hatred for the climbers we then live with angry camp hosts for the rest of the year, you know, and an angry and upset rifle parks department that now feels like, okay, we have to do something about this. And then who knows what's next, you know? Well, I, so, you, yeah. ironically, I didn't even see the somewhere camp else. out there. I wish that they were out there and I wish that they were regular. I mean, there was no regulation. It was just like kind of a free for all. And mm-hmm. um, so I don't know what was going on with that, but yeah, I think like I said, they're pretty hands offy right now and, and yeah. um and or or maybe they're not employed right now. I don't know. I mean it it that was I, I've noticed just over the years there's a lot of vibe that is set by the camp hosts. And mm-hmm. you know, it can be good, it can be bad, it can be draconian, it can be hands off and, and it results in various vibes, you know, that, that change the situation out there. But yeah, and and you know we're talking again about rifle because it's our local thing. But I'm sure people listening to this are are like they can probably cite their own local area where they're pissed off yeah. because visiting you know, Romney climbers has this suck. problem. There's lots of places with this problem. I mean, parking is kind of a unique aspect of the experience in rifle because the of the nature of the the geography of the canyon. But there's just lots of people climbing now. Locally, we just kind of like try to think about going somewhere else for these few weeks until it you know until the end of october right um but it, we also would like to use our climbing area <laughs> on the weekends well um it's kind of ironic that i thought we could talk about the the news that a bunch of problems in joe's valley have been chipped recently or if not recently that at least they've been discovered to have been chipped at some point in the recent time and um there's a couple things that we agree on. I saw you commented on Stephen Jeffrey's Instagram post about this, and I wrote a piece on my site that mimicked your your sentiment about how this isn't just um, the result of any of the X, Y, or Z bad things that we already hate about climbing, or you know, this isn't just a a function of you know not enough education and Jim to Crag education or whatever. But this was a climber who knew that chipping was wrong and decided to do it anyway. And that's kind of the malevolent take on it. It wasn't like a, a sort of... Or, or clueless we're not give, dipshit. Yeah, a, a clueless dipshit. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's interesting that we, you know, we arrived at that conclusion separately. Right. I mean, we, we had not talked to each other 
wh- before I made that comment and before you had also started thinking. And that comment didn't make you start thinking that. Yeah, I think yeah. you had already been thinking it. Um, this idea that it was a malevolent actor, which, you know, you just started this by saying, here's another time where climbers suck. And it's like, I instantly said, no, in my head, I'm like, no, I think this is a climber. Um, <laughs> you know, in this case, we've got like, I think, and, and I, you know, I'll, I can present my evidence, if you will, or at least my thinking around why this person is a, is a malevolent actor, a, a somebody who's antisocial, who's doing it, knowing that you're not supposed to. And I think even maybe willfully, in other words, like I have some beef with this whole thing, this whole paradigm of bouldering and of just kind of like maybe they have some manifesto around what they think of bouldering that's like off their rocker or whatever. Mm-hmm. You won't find Yeah, again, we're in agreement there. I, th- I think the topic I wanted to tease out around this issue today with you is a comment I got on my article. I was actually just looking. I, w- I made the mistake of going on Mountain Project and saw that there was a discussion about my piece and it just kind of turned into bashing my integrity as a person um, without much substance around the, the critique of what I'd written. Um, but we don't need to talk about that. But I do want to talk about one comment I saw that seemed to imply that because um, first ascent sport climbing ethics and development have this kind of slippery slope or gray zone of improving holds or even chipping holds, that because we can, we kind of tacitly or implicitly accept that this is the sort of, um, you know, part of the the sin of of sport climbing, it, it's only inevitable that chipping that we're going to see people chip problems that exist. And to me, I think that there's a very clear and ethical line, bright line between what you do on the first ascent and then what you do to a route after it's been climbed. And it seems very easy to just uh, make those two separate things. And say that, you know, after something has been climbed, don't fuck with it, you know, with any kind of tool, don't chip it, don't improve the holds, change the holds and so forth. That doesn't seem to me to be a contradiction or a hypocrisy of any kind, but I've, um, at least one person commenting on my story seemed to suggest that, that there was kind of some in- inconsistency there. So I wanted to hear your take on that. Uh, can you hear that chainsaw? No. Okay, good. <laughs> they're, they're doing tree work next door. Just very, um, very lightly. Okay. Oh, there's a chainsaw just started. I, I don't know if it's the chipper or if they're still just cutting trees down next door. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I it, it's funny you say that because I knew it was coming. All because I think the the stridentness of your of your uh, headline, which I what was it again? Like chipping is always wrong. Fuck don't you, you know if you that? Chip. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, I right away, I was like, well, we've actually talked about chipping before as, you know, sometimes this necessary thing or something, you know, uh, elite root developers can get away with. And in, in this person's defense, maybe they're, it's indefensible, but, um, you know, you took this very strident position in, in your, in your, headline and then also didn't kind of get around to that argument till sort of the middle of the article so i can see where it's like it engendered someone to go wait a minute i've literally heard andrew argue for chipping you know mm-hmm. you know you've literally done that yeah um and or supported people who have argued with for it like um uh bill ramsey and people like that so 
like I was like, I'm not surprised is what I'm saying. Um, and, and I, and I sort of agree that it's people like black and white things and they, and they want to have like, a you know, they, it's an easy come up, like it's an easy one up thing they can do to, to point out your, your earlier statements mm-hmm. that seem to contradict that. It is actually a very difficult thing to argue, even though we've sort of talked around it, chipping in any way. And this idea that, well, some people, you know, it's okay at some times when it's a new route on some new routes, you know. And so it, it, I, I get it. It becomes a, a very difficult philosophy to tease out. Um, well, one but, of the- but going back to your thing, I mean, that is a, if, they, if people want black and white, then we can give them black and white, new route old route you know but at the same time i think within bouldering i think there's probably a whole different set of considerations versus in a longer sport route but again it's like i don't know if i can lay those things out in a in a a rule-based manner um as to which works when it works and when it doesn't kind of thing it's it's just really hard yeah i agree that um I mean, I, th- I think that we need to start using words a little bit more precisely when we talk about mm-hmm. this stuff. And one of the things I kind of, I didn't explicitly go into in my article, but I think needs to be said is that it might be helpful to just use the word chipping because it has such a mal- like a malicious mm-hmm. connotation to it. I would suggest that we just only use that word when we're referring to people altering routes that have already been climbed. And so, in other words, changing the nature of the climb that's already been done. And that is to uh, differentiate it from the gray zone of first ascent development that takes place. And to your point about the difference between bouldering and sport climbing, I think there is a huge and bright, dif- or not bright, but there's a huge difference in, in the tactics that people use uh, when they're developing boulders versus when they're putting up sport routes. And it has to also to do with, you know, granite versus limestone versus other kinds of rock and just the nature of the rock and how it, whether it crumbles or, you know, how much it needs to be cleaned and so forth. All of that stuff is, you know, there's interesting conversations to have around first ascent development ethics, but I think that those need to be separated out from what we mean when we say chipping, which is to me, the crime of changing the holds on a route that has already been climbed. And I don't think that there's a hypocrisy to suggest that there's no situation in which chipping a route is anything but wrong. And Mm so um, I think that was kind of the spirit of of what I was trying to write, but some people uh, push back and, and, and as you just articulate, I, I can see and understand why, but I think it's just a confusion around what we mean when we say chipping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think one of the other interesting thrusts of your article, you know, was th- something, and you know, you tied it back to Petroglyph's guy, um, who's gonna, that's gonna be on one of our t-shirts someday. But um, <laughs> he, he, you know, it, it, this idea that we want to blame all these sort of institutions in climbing, I thought your funniest one was the 1980s, was, was something to blame, blame a decade, blame, blame. <laughs> A decade from 50 years ago um <laughs> you know so it's it's interesting that the, you know because and i think because like you said in there like we we want to have solutions both well, we want to point agree. to something that we can change yeah 
yeah that we can influence anyway yeah and um and i and i believe as we talked about with that last issue was that there's going to be these fringe actors that we've invited into the sport and you know it's kind of sort of comes with the territory you know of the 10,000 people that showed up in rifle this weekend there was there's going to be some people that aren't you know don't care about the community and don't care or actually like i think i still i'm i'm hung up on this like you know unibomber antisocial thing um i think maybe because of the guy up in up in bend that's pulling bolts and is is clearly psychotic yeah you just th- those people will arrive to the sport and we will have to live with them um mm-hmm. because we don't have a recourse you know i mean is it vaguely illegal i think maybe there's some you know deep in the weeds regulation altering this or that but of course we don't want to hear about that when we put bolts in but you know no no agency is going to pursue and prosecute anything like this like even if it technically is illegal to to bang on rock in a wilderness area or whatever it happens to be no no authority is going to come in and take care of this and, and so I don't, I don't know I how we take care to. of it yeah and I wouldn't want them to either because like I said there's there's other things we do that they then turn around and look at and be like, wait, what? So that was another I mean, thing I just saw on this mountain project thread was that people felt like I had, because I was taking such a strident anti chipper, you know, kind of literally saying fuck you to this person who did this, that I was endorsing violence against them or something like that. Um, which I'm not, I'm absolutely not, but I do, but I do reserve the right to say, fuck you for doing that. I mean, like mm-hmm. that, I think that's all we can do. This is the price of freedom and it's the price of having an open sport that anyone can enter and that where it's practiced in public outdoor places. I mean, this is just the price of that. And there's going to be malicious actors who take advantage of that. And I don't know, you're right. I don't know what their solution is. And it's just going to be something that we live with. Yeah. I mean, do you think like we're, we're talking, we joked in the start about your, you know, you just like walking away from this confront confrontation with, um, with, uh, you know, Duder at rifle, you know, I mean out there in the, in our world, like there is this weird line where if you came across someone literally like with a hammer and some sort of other implement, whether it's literally a chisel or not, you know, what do you do as a climber? Because if you confront that person, which, you know, this dust up and bend with this, this fella, you know, resulted in a, in a confrontation that, that led to violence and led to the law coming in. It was violence from, from the perpetrator, um, swinging a hammer at a guy, you know, but that's just a thing. And, and as climbers, you know, we, very much live and let live kind of thing but what do you do like if you confront that person just even verbally you've you've heightened very much heightened the chance for violence so are these people saying that you should just walk away and tell somebody but who do you tell because again it's it's not like the police are going to come and stop this person so it's interesting like this idea that you you know by being so strident have suggested violence but what you know, again, what, I mean, climbers listening, like, what would you do if you're out in Joe's and you're out in some back area and you walk around the corner and there's someone banging away on a boulder? Well, you just say, I mean, I think you just have to say something. You have to say, Hey, do you know that that's not okay? And they're going to say, yes, I do. 
and right. I'm doing it anyway. Fuck off. Right. And you're going to say, okay. I mean, unless you want to get into a fight with that person, which I don't think you should. Like, that's right. never yeah, no, a good idea. Right. It would be hard for me to do it. And if I started and they escalated, I would escalate right along with them. So it's, that's what I mean by it's like a tricky thing. Yeah. Um, because again, if this is a person and our theories are correct, that they're willingly and knowingly doing it, then they're also probably prepared to defend their position and or be confronted, which is why, as you pointed out, that these things go on in secret is because they know better than to you know, walk up to a problem in a busy day and just bang, bang away at it in front of a bunch of boulders. They know that that'll probably escalate very quickly. So, you know, it's just kind of wild that we, 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 you know, we, we don't have any sort of legal recourse, but we Mm. also as a group, I think generally don't like to confront people and tell them what to do and et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, you can shun them from the group and not climb with them and, you know, smear their reputation and maybe those are the best tools that we have unfortunately um yeah, but, but it seems to feed the beast in some some yeah you I know they're already isolated themselves yeah, yeah they, it seems to sort of feed the beast in a way with i mean literally antisocial people you know antisocial behavior back to them is is what they're looking for so right. yeah i mean it's it's wild and you know it's out there and and uh yeah i don't know what the solution is Oh, wait, um, let me ask you this. Let me ask you a question about, I was joking that I created this, you know, one of these like whodunit movie boards where my strings and pins and pictures from on a map, you know, connecting all these dots. And I was like, you know, I, I definitely in my brain can connect a triangle between Little Cottonwood Canyon to Joe's Valley to uh, Greasegate down there in Moab. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, you know, here's this triangle, this sort of Bermuda triangle of recent spate of like vandalism on boulders yeah I'm like well wait a second are we is this like a multi-county you know are we crossing lines here is colorado next are we gonna are we gonna have to bring in the fbi because they cross cross state lines and it becomes a federal issue um do, do you think they're related or not and this is well, just complete fantasy i other than my pins with yarn i have no evidence that they are um other than also time-wise especially with the lcc and the and the joe's valley ones we're we're pretty close together as well yeah we need we need a back room in the basement with one of those giant maps and pins and and uh and conspiracy theories written on the wall yeah and and computers uh, with like numbers going across the screen (laughs) and and shit like (laughs) you know guys with ties and like you know, drinking coffee, you've been down there for like 48 hours, like trying to figure the shit out. So, well, I think that there are people doing, actually, I mean, I don't think it's quite that extreme, but I know that Stephen Jeffries and some other folks are working on a theory about who they think this is. And probably isn't that hard to do if you like look, you know, given that everyone posts every single thing that they do on social media and there's geotagging and stuff that you can use to trace whereabouts and, uh, dates and locations and so forth. It shouldn't be that hard to figure out. But do you think it, it, it raises to the level of like this is like this this is like the the zodiac guy or whatever? Like a, ser- where, a serial chipper. Yeah, serial chipper. Where now he's like watching this all. Like he's listening to this right now, and like soon he's gonna like post like a letter, you know, or he'll post something on Reddit that will you know 
give a hint to what's next and start the sort of the cat and mouse thing. Um, that would be actually, that would be pretty entertaining. That'd be worth a few chip boulders for that to happen. <laughs> um, if it became like, yeah, like I will strike again, you know, like when the dawn is right and the red moon rises, you know, that kind of thing, like your, your boulder will be chipped, you know, good luck suckers kind of a thing. Well, the like old- if you're out there listening, let's, uh, let's get that going. Like send me an email and we'll, we'll start it up um, with a riddle that I have to solve to find out where you're chipping next. Um, it'll be awesome. <laughs> Me only- racing around in my Previa, trying to get there in time. We've got to get to Joe's Valley. There's a full moon tomorrow night. <laughs> he always chips by the blue moon. <laughs> And then we get there, like, there's still dust settling. We're like, we just missed him. (laughs) Curse you. Uh, Uh, The only um, bright side to all of this is that if this um, serial chipper ever comes to rifle, he's not going to find a spot to park, so he'll probably just leave. (laughs) Plus, all the roots have been chipped anyway. Yeah, it's already pre-chipped, bro. (laughs) There's nothing for you here. Lance Colley and Jenna Wood are two of the most currently active big wall climbers in Yosemite. Today we're talking about the impending permanent rule changes around permits for big wall climbers in Yosemite National Park. So we are here with Lance Colley and Jenna Wood. And these two individuals are people that I had never heard of until last week when uh, we started emailing with each other. But I don't know why I hadn't heard of you guys, because you both have pretty outstanding records of dozens of ascents of, of El Cap. Jenna, I heard uh, your nickname was the the Big Wall Mom in Yosemite. Is that is that the case still? Yeah, and uh, maybe more of the Big Wall Grandma now. My body's breaking down a little bit, but... I look after the monkeys. And Lance, you, you have 29 cents of El Cap in the last three years. So you kind of positioned yourself as having maybe spent more time on the big stone than probably anyone else in recent memory. I, I think that's pretty true. 29 cents. I happened to live in the valley during COVID and, you know, we couldn't travel. So I kind of went and bashed my head against the big stone. And both of you are also interesting in that you've had um, either working relationships or employment uh, with the National Park Service. And we're here today to talk about the um, permit system for El Cap that was piloted as like a, you know, a temporary program a couple years ago, like kind of right at the start of COVID and um, has since been announced to be taking permanent structure Jenna, maybe you could give us an overview of what this pilot program was and how we're kind of heading into this these permanent rules changes for for El Cap big wall climbing. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I worked as a climbing ranger in 2020 and 2021, and those were the years that this permit system started. And initially, it was presented as a way actually to get climbers into the park, right? They didn't have to get the reservation system. They could get this big wall permit. And we were told initially that it wasn't going to be permanent. Like this is just for COVID. And, you know, 
I'm I'm close friends with my supervisor, like the client management. I told them I was coming on this podcast and they know I'm disappointed in kind of the lack of transparency that's been presented. Um, so yeah, that's how it was initially presented. And then it kind of started to transition into, okay, this is going to be permanent. And this isn't really the ideas of climbing management. I will say that this is coming from higher above. So they're kind of getting pushed down and saying, you have to implement this permit system. And so I think there also has been lack of transparency from above. So it's just been kind of a frustrating experience to see it from the start as a solution for getting climbers in uh, to the park. And, and now, you know, they're kind of using like, oh, well, in this pilot period, we saw increases and in compliance and less trash. And you're like, well, yeah, this was happening in COVID when there was less people. Um, so, yeah, I'm coming from the position of I'm frustrated on how it was presented. And, and I, I wasn't really willing to be like an enforcement permit ranger, which is why I'm no longer working as a climbing ranger. You know, I, I just looked over on the website and it's still talking more about the pilot program and the details are still a little, I think are still a little fuzzy. So, I mean, what does it actually mean going forward for, you know, a wall climber in the park? What do you have to do? Well, at the moment you can just apply online or, or go in person and get it from a climbing ranger. Um, but what's going to happen is it's going to be moved over to recreation.gov. And that's kind of non-negotiable because there's a federal mandate that all federal permits have to go through the same platform, essentially, which is going to be recreation.gov. And so I'm like super against recreation.gov and kind of the parent company, but we don't have to get into that right now. We can, (laughs) I can go into the weeds about that and my frustrations and the corruption of government leaking down into the big walls. but. Essentially, that's what it's going to look like. But the details are still not clear, which is, I think, a lot of the frustrations of climbers who went to that first town hall meeting was, what is this going to look like? And I spoke with, you know, the head of climbing management last week. I had an hour long conversation with him and I was like telling him my frustrations. And and he was like, well, that actually, that part isn't determined. And that's where the comment period really does matter. How is it going to look? How is it going to be structured? Will you have to meet with a ranger? Because currently you have to meet with a climbing ranger in business hours, which if you've climbed big walls and you're traveling from outside of the area, that can be the reason why you can't climb a wall, right? It's so inconvenient. Um, so Those are the details that haven't been figured out. And it will take, I think, the comments of big wall climbers to put their their input on this and say that that's not reasonable, you know. So, Lance, you know, over the last few years, as I've just mentioned, you've climbed El Cap a bunch of times. I presume a number of those ascents you you went through the formal permit process. Um, Maybe you could just describe what that was actually like and contrast it to what it was like before. So what is it actually like to go get a permit to do a wall? No, Lance clearly permitted every single one of his ascents. (laughs) Um, I'm sure he's every one of the nights on El Cap was spent under the supervision of the national park service. So let's just clear that up right now. Lance was not up there without a permit at any time. (laughs) At any time. Followed all the rules. (laughs) 
Yeah, so it's funny. I don't remember a lot of permit conversations in 2020. I think maybe it was optional or or maybe it was more like I just texted Jenna and said, hey, big one, Ma, I'm going to be on this route. And that was kind of enough. <laughs> and then in 2021, I got injured climbing and that put me out for a few months. So I was mostly climbing outside of the busy season. So I was climbing in November, February or January. And then I got injured again. So I've, I've had some bad luck uh, last few few years. But I think a, a permit conversation looks a little different for everybody. And that's kind of the education part. So generally, I'll, I'll go into the office, ask for a permit. And because I am friends with all the rangers, they kind of hand me the permit and I'm off on my way. It's not too difficult. But with a climber visiting from wherever and they're going to start the nose and it's 104 degrees out, there's probably going to be a little more education talk about, you know, the heat and how to manage that, how much water to have. And it depends on the ranger. From what I understand about the process, it's really the spirit of it is to give a point of contact with rangers, with climbers, who they can explain some of the rules, which maybe hadn't been broadcast clearly enough to the climbing community about leaving trash, you know, wildlife concerns, uh, camps on the summit of El Cap. That was sort of the spirit behind the permit. And I recall a lot of the pushback at the initial outset was the idea that, you know, maybe this is something that you should be required to do once. And once you get the equivalent of, you know, being forced to watch the video in Waco tanks before you can enter the park, then you can like go and have fun. Like it's the same thing with this. Like you should just have to do this like one kind of point of contact with Rangers and then you should be able to go climb El Cap um, as you wish. And, and as Jenna said, it was, you know, initially pitched as this temporary thing, but of course, you know, I think we all predicted that we, we would find ourselves in this situation now. No, we literally be... predicted it, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I know we talked about this already. Yeah. Um, and I said, there ain't no way this is ever going away. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone yeah. who believed that has never, ever been anywhere near the park service. So bureaucracy never goes away it only gets thicker uh jenna may maybe you could uh, address this you know um and, and and again if it's coming down from on high maybe there's different goals but i i'm i'm really unclear as to how you know this addresses sort of trash right um which i think seem i mean well let me say this i've been over here biting my cheek um because I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm pretty upset about the rollout, um, including, you know, a recent Instagram post by, I don't know what account it is. It's, it's a park service account, you know, with a picture of, of all these ropes on top of El Cap, you know, big piles of them and all this other shit. And, you know, this big beat down about how much climbers suck. And then of course that engendered, you know, outside of the climbing community that engendered like hundreds and hundreds of comments about how terrible climbers are and how we we suck and we shouldn't and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, right away I started asking around. I'm like, that picture is from the cleanup, right? And and I actually found the photographer who was a climbing steward and she said, yeah, that's my picture and it's from the cleanup, like the climber cleanup, you know? So I, I was already like, okay, great job, Park Service. You just used an event organized by climbers to clean up after climbers, an event that you pushed back against 
seven or eight years ago. You can hear the history of it on on the Enorma cast actually when I had Ken on. And you know, now you're using that event, this incredible event, this thing that climbers drive, that climbers do to fucking bash climbers. And I was like, I mean, and also I'm justify just yeah, and justify your your system to do what exactly? Like it's a layer of bureaucracy. You're going to pay rangers to do something. You're going to put some paperwork in boxes, and you have no evidence or plan or anything to say that it's going to do anything. And while meanwhile, climbers once a year, thousands of them come to the valley to not just clean up climber stuff, but to clean up everybody's stuff. And I, it just like drove me nuts that that was somebody's idea of how to how to kind of roll this thing out and whip up, you know, public sentiment against climbers is all they did. So I was just like, then I started to think back, you know, away from my anger and be like, how does this permit system actually clean anything up? I mean, is it just hoping that less climbers go up there is, you know, I, I or the education piece, I think maybe Jenna, maybe you could address like what their, you know, w- what's their idea of how this fixes a problem that they perceive versus, hey, what climbers do, which is we actually go clean it up. That's a great question. And actually, one of the biggest arguments I have against the permit system is there is no evidence that permits are going to solve this issue. And this might be an unpopular opinion, but in my time there, the biggest issue was often professional climbers and free climbing tactics, thousands of feet of fixed lines getting wrapped in on people leaving fixed lines for months, entire routes fixed, caches left on ledges in the summit. The permit system is not solving it when they're so short-sighted on their goals that it doesn't matter what they're being told. And if they're not sleeping on LCAP, oftentimes they're not, right? They're hiking up, they're wrapping in, they're not getting a permit. And we had so many conversations with professional climbers, like someone left a bag of their poop on top after finishing a route. And then we went up there and saw it and it was with all their other stuff. So like, and we contacted them and it was like, oh, I didn't know I couldn't leave that up there. I was coming back for it. And you're like, okay, wow, there's a major disconnect on how people are supposed to behave and how they're getting there based on their goals. So the answer is not going to be in permits because a lot of these people aren't getting permits. So it's really frustrating to see yeah. all of these issues and realize like, yeah, this permit system actually isn't going to solve the bigger issue around how people are essentially exploiting Yosemite's wilderness to achieve their goals. And it's frustrating. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I'd love to address that because it's, not, it's the exact um, sentiment that I've, I've been thinking about. And also it's not unusual because I'll, we can, you know, harken back into the olden times with me. And when I started on El Cap, it was way more disgusting than it is now. Um, it was pre cleanup, uh, facelift. There was a lot of ethics that are like kind of astounding now when you think about them. Um, and this is, you know, mid nineties, um, it was super common just to throw your shit off. Like that's om- what almost everyone was doing when I started um, was just to shit in a bag and literally huck it. And then you supposedly went and cleaned it up later. But, you know, kind of like your fixed rope problem, very few people ever did or you couldn't find it or it was in the woods or in a tree or on a ledge or whatever. So climbing all over Cal- El Cap, you would run into bags of shit on ledges almost always like old, you know, deteriorating bags of shit. And then also... 
it was very common to throw your trash off. Like just, you know, your empty cans, you just hucked them and then supposedly you clean the base up again later. And and I think that like those tactics, although they had started to go away by the time the facelift came around, but I think the older guys that were thinking about that event were probably thinking about just how much old garbage was laying in the trees at the base of El Cap. But as far as addressing that, Oh, and now one other thing I'll say too is when when the poop tube kind of regime came in, when people were like, this is disgusting and we can't keep doing this, it's funny you say about the professional climbers because that was exactly the case then too. And, and if not the professionals, then at least like the 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 cool kids, the the folks that were climbing it all the time, the local valley people were very much, you know, well, fuck that, I'm going to still huck this stuff off and and they were kind of the last to get on board like you having those conversations i i literally had issues with professional climbers shitting on el cap and and had to had to sort of confront those people so it's not unusual that the elite or whatever whether they're professionals or whatever because this this wasn't really about professionals it was about the elite thinking they you know whatever they're doing is so rad that they need to continue to to break the rules or like the rules are for the Gumbies or that kind of thing. That's absolutely nothing new, but to the solving it. And we've actually talked on here about kind of like that fixed lines on El Cap are a little bit outdated, like somehow the climbing community itself. And I don't actually know how this happened, but the, the regime changed, you know, it wasn't anything, but that climbers had some sort of, uh, you know, pun intended movement away from, you know, trashing El Cap. And then once the facelift started, like, you know, talk to anyone my age or has been climbing on El Cap for 30 years, it is so much cleaner than it used to be. And that was because climbers changed their tactics. As far as a solution, I just don't, I can't exactly say how that happens over time, like how we got that to change because it wasn't any one specific thing, but it certainly did change somehow. And I, I was wondering if you had any thoughts about that as far as, you know, that picture of that pile of, of ropes, you know, that was not okay. It's not like I'm saying that that was okay. I'm saying that they used basically propaganda to get their message across. I, I think it's terrible, you know, and there's certainly like, you know, the, the photographer who took that picture told me a little anecdote about a very, very famous person leaving their stuff up there you know, years later, it was still there. So how do you think we change that with, you know, because that's not okay. I just don't think this permit system does anything about it. Yeah. How do we change that? I mean, I keep coming back to these companies, Petzl, like all these companies that are providing this needs to hold their climbers accountable, right? Because these climbers are getting free stuff and that's why they don't care. Right. So I'm not saying just Petzl. I have had to deal with a lot of Petzl fixed line, though. I'll say that. Um, so I love Petzl, but uh, yeah, it seems to be, I don't know. There needs to be more accountability from these professional climbers. And, and the Park Service, I will say, has tried to do that through ticketing, right? Like, oh, I know lots of professional climbers that have gotten tickets in the last couple of years. And that's kind of their way of addressing it. Uh, because, well, yeah, what is the solution? <laughs> I don't know. I, I think we need like really good, strong role models too that are kind of speaking up about this. And I had to stop following most professional climbers that climb in Yosemite Valley because they're posting about their achievements, and I'm like, 
I literally carried your poop off the top of LCAP, right? Like, I don't want to hear about good style unless you have good style, which I'm like, amazed by the people that are doing ground up efforts who are like making efforts to get their stuff off the top. And I'm just frustrated with the ones that aren't. So um, it's definitely I'm jaded about it. And I think it's it's a real achievement to be able to free climb LCAP. But I don't care if you're leaving your stuff. I'm not impressed with you. Yeah, I mean, I think the professional climbers, you know, they have this I mean, calling them out, I mean, it's not really your job. And uh, and Jenna, I don't think you're the, sound like someone who wants to dip your toe into that world of, you know, being the scold. To, I mean, specifically, but I, I feel like there is, there is actually some uh, utility in, in that. And, and on the run out, we're not always afraid to do that. But I also, I mean, the professional climbers are one thing, but I do think there's a, there's an in-betweener that's also a problem, you know, the the semi-professional climber the really good climber and and, and frankly you know you're, you're talking about being like the mom to the monkeys like you know those guys and girls leave stuff stashed out of convenience you know all summer long like i'm working on this thing and i know this one spot up there where i can put this big giant fixed line and and you know yeah i'll go get it in the fall so it's not like it's just the pros um i mean maybe the the monkeys have changed and they're all very upstanding no, no, you're don't absolutely break the rules group right. of people. So, I mean, it, it's all the way down the line. So, like, Petzl can, can you know, educate its athletes or, or North Face is the people I had the problem with years ago and, and hold them accountable. And I think that would be, I think as public personas, I think it's okay for us to hold them accountable publicly as well. Like, you know, I think it's okay to name names when you're a public figure um, and you're supposed to be a role model and a steward. The other problem I have is is the kind of the role model, and this is really common too, who who we all know secretly is still doing it, right? Like whatever they say publicly, you know, they still that one time are like, yeah, they meant to get back up there, but you know, they had a trade show to get to and like they left their shit up there and like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll get it in the fall and then they never come back or whatever. Like, you know, there has to be this accountability that's real. And over time, I think it will kind of change I mean, I hate public shaming as like a tool or whatever, but maybe like just, you know, giving people a hard time because that, that's what I did when I, I, you know, ran into these problems. I just personally like confronted them and said, this isn't okay anymore, you guys. Like this is over. Um, and I don't care how hard your silly route was, you still can carry your shit to the top, you know, like it just, it took these personal things over time. So I, I mean, I'm rambling about this, but it's because it is a confusing way. How do you, how do you like create a trend away from something um, or towards something better? Yeah. I think we're all kind of on the same page with this permit. So I think it, it would be good to just spend a, a couple moments trying to give the other side of, of where this permit is coming from to try to do our best, uh, our best version of of explaining the the utility and the thought and the logic behind it. Um, and, and it stems from this idea that climbers have kind of carved out this weird niche where we're above the rules in a way that no other user group is allowed to, you know, use the park to just camp overnight without a permit. And that had just been kind of written into the, into the rules of, of how climbers were going to use the park and um, no one questioned it and wasn't a problem until just recently. So I, I struggle to, f to come up with a very satisfying reason for why I think climbers should be different or held to different standards. Lance, maybe you could take a stab at, at responding to that idea 
And if, if you see any, any value or any logic in, in what the park service is saying, when it, when it says that, Hey, you climbers, you're not special. You need to follow the rules just like everyone else. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think climbers are be special, but I don't think not having a permit makes us special. When you look at the data they've presented in their virtual town hall, we're talking about a very tiny population. They presented basically how many people are climbing big walls in a year, and it can't be more than 2,000 people. And we're talking about a park that gets 5 million visitors a year. So I guess by the numbers, we are kind of special. I guess I want to ask, like, what's the big trouble about such a small percentage of, of users? And, you know, El Cap's a really unique wilderness. There isn't a wilderness like it anywhere else in the world. It's, you know, Zion is a close comparison, but Zion's rock is really soft and it's fragile. So I can totally understand why quotas permits are necessary in Zion. And yeah, we can talk about how pin scars have changed the shield headwall, but it's overall pretty, it's super durable. It's not going to really change on a large scale. You just mentioned um, quotas, which is one of the fears that I think people are, you know, kind of hemming and hawing about at the moment, because, you know, as Chris and I predicted that these would become permanent rules, um, that they weren't going away. And um, I feel comfortable saying that quotas are going to be in our future, although the park, they won't say one way or the other whether they're not going to, they're not saying that quotas will never, there'll never be quotas for LCAP, but it seems reasonable to expect that these increasing regulations are going to come down the line. Uh, Jenna, do you have fears around quotas? Do you think that that's uh, coming down the pipeline? Well, maybe another unpopular opinion, but. I think that maybe some of these routes need quotas. Um, if you've ever been on Dinner Ledge on the south face of the column, like you're not having a wilderness experience. So I guess if they're going to uphold this idea of like this is to maintain wilderness character, then probably enforcing quotas on the nose, free rider in the south face, uh, the south face of the column, like those are probably going to be necessary. And there's lots of people who will not climb them because of the condition that they're in, right? They're too crowded. They're, and so there's probably tons of people who are like, you know, I'd like to be able to climb the nose and not have 12 other parties that I'm competing with on the first day. Um, so I guess, yeah, unpopular opinion, I think some of these routes probably need quotas and would make the experience better for most people. You know, I don't want to see quotas for in a day ascents. You know, I find it really frustrating. If you're going to go solo the east face of Whitney, you have to have a permit, right? You're like, but I'm hardly even in there, right? It's like in and out. Um, and so I I guess I do have fear on further regulating. Um, but I, I will say I don't think it is the worst thing that could happen to some of these routes. Yeah, I mean, I, I, this may be attached to your recreation.gov problems, but, you know, I have like a, a, a sympathy for the idea of a quota as well. The, the problem I have is that the way permitting campgrounds and permitting trailheads and, and things like that has become where it's the moment the reservation opens six months ahead of time, it's full, you know, it's like, I've been joking, it's like trying to buy fish tickets, <laughs> Andrew, like you got to be there on the phone or on the computer to get anything and i can't see why your 
you know, your nose permitting system wouldn't be the same way. Like I'm here and I want to go do the nose and this permit is either free or it doesn't cost very much money. I'll just, I'll just fill up the month of July. And when we go, we go, it's only going to cost me a hundred bucks or whatever to just grab all these permits ahead of time. You know, it's like, I mean, that's exactly what's happened with every reservation campground in the United States. You can't get in there unless you're ready to be on the computer, like however many days ahead of time or months ahead of time. Yeah, I'd say most problems actually, for me, come back to recreation.gov. You know, I think recreation.gov is a disservice to all of those visiting public lands. It further commercializes these places and wilderness and they're owned by a private corporation, right? The .gov gets people thinking, oh, this is run by the government. No, it's run by Booz Allen Hamilton, which are this huge lobby group that own all of these contracts with the U.S. government. And, you know, Edward Snowden worked for them and they're this huge like cybersecurity and surveillance company. And that is who is collecting our money, profiting off of public lands. Right. So that is the biggest issue I have. And if you type in, you know, booze, Hamilton, Alan Hamilton surveillance, like one of the first things that will come up is this New York Times article. It's titled at booze, Allen, a vast U.S. spy operation run for private profit. And that is who's getting our money. Um, that's the issue I have. And when I talk to the Park Service about this, they're like, okay, well, you need, if you have a problem with rec.gov, then you should contact your Congress representative, right? Because <laughs> that's where this is coming from. Um, so that's what's so scary about all of this, right? Like, we can't escape the corrupt lobbying of, you know, this. Ah, yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah that's, that's interesting. Really I think a lot of people don't um, realize that if they're, you know, buying reservations for campsites, that that money isn't going to like park improvements. Right. Like a small amount is recreation.gov is setting an amount. And, you know, so you'll it's like a ticket master. Right. And I'm like, wait, this is how we're going to maintain wilderness character. I'm sorry, but this isn't really making sense to me. I think with the quotas and rec.gov, I like woke up with this nightmare the other night that so the struggle to climb is too many people. Right now, how you solve that problem is you go up to the base of the cliff, you chat with people, you make friends, you figure it out. A worst case scenario is you climb a different route, you spend a few days in Yosemite Valley, you make some new friends. With rec.gov, now you're alone in your basement your workout room in the middle of the night, <laughs> typing furiously away at your computer, trying to get your to get your spot to climb the nose in six months. And to me that's just that just sucks. Like like we're trading one problem for another and the new problem sounds horrible. I you know, I'd much rather at least come to the valley and try to climb and make friends and learn something. And every time you sit in the meadow and chat with people, you learn about new routes or new techniques or yeah i just wanted to share that nightmare i had like that's gonna be the future so i have a question i mean uh you know on the previous discussion uh on the run out i openly advocated for civil disobedience so what is the under the regime coming up i mean what is the penalty for uh climbing el cap without a permit 
you're up there for five days, you top out, climbing rangers there, what happens? You can receive a ticket. I don't know the the, the amount. Um, I would say it's pretty unlikely that you would get a ticket. And it has to be a commissioned ranger. So a ranger with a gun basically ha- has to serve you the ticket. Yeah, the ticket would probably be like $280. That's like probably the... Like if you were to get caught without a backpacking permit and again, and you ran into a commissioned ranger, which is very unlikely, um, that's that's what it would look like. So could we crowdfund like a, a trust somewhere that like would cover all those tickets for like the next 10 years and just be like, yeah, send us your ticket. Maybe, <laughs> we'll maybe Ash's fun it. thing. Or... <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, uh, Smiley's thing where he if sends you if you leave an extra nut on a rappel to make it safer, he'll buy you the nut if you take the yeah, picture. Yeah. It'd be something like that. <laughs> yeah, I hereby call on the access fund to uh, donate ninety five percent of their fundraising haul every year to um, paying for climbers illegal. Yeah, and then, cap. Yeah, um, we're not we're not giving money to rec.gov, you know, giving it to somebody else. Well, there's some so, other huge thing that processes those tickets for sure. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they also make tanks probably. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, what sorry, you, Andrew, we keep interrupting you. Yeah, it's okay. I, I, I'm curious to, do you, do either of you have any sense of how many like quote unquote illegal or, you know, unpermitted a sense of, of El Cap have gone down in the last three years? Do you feel like that's a common thing? Is that something you've heard about or seen? It definitely happens. I don't have like a great sense. That's actually one of the issues is there's not enough data, right? Like they're presenting all these like, oh, here's the issues. And you're like, what data do you have? How are the numbers before? How are they now? Right. So there's definitely not great understanding, but we definitely would run into climbers. You know, we do base patrols or top of LCAT patrols and they're like, oh, no, I didn't get a permit. I would say it was a pretty high compliance, right? Because it was free. Yeah, it was probably like 75% compliance. Um, Lance, would you like mm-hmm. think that number is about right? Yeah, I think it's it was it's really high compliance because for a while it was like a free pass into the park for big wall climbers. Uh, made it really easy. Yeah, but will that be the case when you have to give money, you know, to recreation.gov? I don't know. That's another concern is... When you start making it more complicated, people are less likely to comply. Yeah, I had a um, buddy from Chile. Uh, he messaged me a few weeks ago trying to sort out all the permits and things needed to climb in Yosemite. And there is a little bit of a language barrier, uh, but it was really complicated to, to explain to him the difference between the day use reservation to enter the park, the reservation, which isn't really a reservation for the climbing permits, and then the overnight climbing permits. And yeah, it was really challenging. So yeah, Jenna, I think when we start adding these layers of complexity, it's just going to be like, screw this, I'm just going to go climbing. Yeah, I keep coming back to what Chris's point was earlier, just about how this is solving a problem that doesn't exist in some level. You know, I think that there's a reasonable amount of 
garbage and trash and detritus and stuff that just gets left in the wake of any kind of human activity in a place. And and that's the reason that we have cleanups. And that's the reason that climbers get together and spend, you know, a weekend, you know, just cleaning up all the shit that gets left. And so it's unclear exactly what the problem is. And it, there's this underbelly of just uh, just this desire to control and to have um, more say and more power. You know, I think Chris and I have both expressed lots of skepticism toward. And yeah, again, it's it's just unclear what what these permits are actually solving. Um, but I do appreciate what uh, Jenna was saying with regards to potentially having a quota for, you know, the nose or you know, Washington Column and, and some of the routes that just get maybe too much traffic to be sustainable. I just rankle at this stuff I have for 30 years. And so that's always my like go-to position is like, you know, burn it down and, and F you and which is obvious, you know, there's going to be listeners who are like, that's completely unreasonable. And like, you're being a jerk and, um, it's probably true. But so is there some fantasy compromise, you know, let me go, let me step away from civil disobedience to, uh, to finding compromise. And, And I say that skeptically because I've, in the in the in the years I've been doing this, like compromise with someone like the Park Service is nearly impossible, um, unless you have actually lawyers involved, legal challenges and things like that. Like they they don't. I mean, they do these they do these by and large whatever window dressing town halls and shit, and it's already been decided. And I think they'll listen to us blabber and then they'll just do what they want to do. Um, but let's imagine that there was a compromise where we admit, like, yeah some of these routes are crowded. We admit that there is, you know, trash being left behind maybe by the elite, maybe by everybody. Um, what do you think a, a middle ground looks like, uh, versus maybe what's coming down the pike? Well, I'll say, I think there is some opportunity with our comments. You know, I do have a little hope that it isn't totally decided. Um, and so I you think and I, you and I have different, different. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe let's I'm, just say I'm that we'll, we'll... Young, naive. <laughs> uh, that's just my personality. Yeah. You no, know, I, I, I wait for the pleasant surprise. So yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Jenna. I'm, I'm an optimistic skeptic. We'll say that. <laughs> okay, um, cool. So I think asking for certain things, right? Like we should have a big wall campground, just like backpackers campground, right? which allows climbers the night before their wall and the day after their wall to stay there and prepare for big walls, right? It takes way more time to prep and plan for a big wall than it does for backpackers camp. Big wall climbers should get that as well. The fees on recreation should be minimized, right? Climbing big walls is already expensive. Maybe you make it a self-serve permit, right? Just like a self-serve campground where you, you don't have to do anything online. I don't know, like, we need to figure out how to avoid that. When Lance said, it's a tiny user group. Also not requiring to pick up the permit in person for every wall, right? Maybe you have to meet with a ranger once a year. Maybe it's virtually. I think really requesting that you don't have to meet with a ranger will make it a lot better. And yeah, maybe you want the quotas. Maybe you don't want the quotas. I think that people do need to use this comment period, though, and really express what they hope to be getting from this yeah i guess i'll bet you know i don't want to like deter people from commenting um do it anyway even if you know i believe you might be spitting into the wind but you know it's interesting you say that because i remember when this started i really jumped to uh our local national park here the black canyon and they have a a a very robust self-serve uh permitting system and i mean 
who knows this and that, th- this is the problem too is like i always see this stuff spread you know it's like yosemite does it and then the head honcho at the black canyon goes well that's a good idea and, and we get it too so that i mean that's the other thing is like nipping this in the bud and and why i kind of complain that i wanted the access fund to have a more robust pushback against it than they did um is because of that as much as anything yeah i work at devil's tower where you had to self-register and a lot of people didn't right and it was just kind of i don't really know it's more of like a historic reason that they do that people still i would say it was still probably about 75 percent compliance um, and that's a pretty good compliance number i'd say so yeah i think it's reasonable to request that um in yosemite and that's how it's done on the off season when the climbing rangers aren't working. Jenna, can you point our listeners to what steps or comment periods or what's the timeline looking like in the next few months before I believe this is slated to begin in next year. So what's, what are we looking at in the next few months? So the comment period is open until November 13th. And if you go like NPS, big wall permits, uh, it'll be like one of the top hits and you can go on there and it probably won't look how it's going to look next year. I'll say that. I think this is, I don't think next year it's going to be on recreation.gov. It will take some time and they'll probably continue to try to figure it out. It does feel a bit rushed, right? I think that's one of the issues that most people have is they're like, okay, you have to turn in your comments by November 13th. You're like, what are we commenting on again? Um, so make sure you do that by November 13th, which is enough time, right, to, to have a well-articulated, well-formulated thought on these issues. And then it'll probably go into effect in the next two years, uh, more realistically. Yeah, and I will flag that thing about the the data, too. I, I think Andrew and I commented on that when we talked about this as collecting data in COVID times you know, was sort of a useless activity in, in which is again, like, okay, now it's over. And they're like, look, we have this data and now we're making these changes. It just seems as to, to point out, it does seem rushed, but um, where, where do you go for the comment period? Um, I don't know if you mentioned that maybe you did and I missed it. Yeah. So it's on like NPS.gov, Yoast, plan your visit, climbing permits. And then you can scroll down and there's like a little link in there. It's through this, through like the park planning, like the National Park Service website. And so you kind of have to like click through some things on the website to get there. And uh, I'll mention there's another virtual town hall meeting, uh, October 16th. And how do you connect with those? Actually, the best way for me was to go to the park's Instagram page. And they had a post about with your favorite picture on it about the town hall meeting. Otherwise, you can go to the park's website and navigate the website to a page called Instagram links, and it would be in there somewhere. Yeah, it's on the same page where you'd put your written comments. So, yeah, the Yosemite's like NPS site, plan your visit slash climbing permits, um, then we'll get you to the written comments as well as the town hall meetings link. All right, climbers, make your voices heard, even though Chris says it's a completely useless waste of your time. <laughs> At least you can complain later. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you like, yeah you'll have a right to complain later. Exactly. Complain <laughs> this is me trying so I can bitch about it later. 
Babsy Zangirl and Jacopo Larcher are two of the best and most inspiring climbers in the world. You know this. That's like saying the sky is blue or that pizza is delicious. And on this month's bonus for Patreon rope guns only, Babsy and Yokopo give a rundown of their recent third ascent and first female ascent and first flash of eternal flame on Trango Tower. Always, uh, it was always hard to get started for me. So the first uh, three, four hours of the day were hard on me and then it got, got better, luckily. But I couldn't sleep during the night, so I slept uh, not more than two or three hours during the night. The rest of it, I uh, played Tetris on my phone because there was nothing to do. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like always wondering why a couple slept like a baby and I, I couldn't fall asleep after it was, it was so hard to sleep. And yeah, now I'm a professional Tetris player. <laughs> You can listen to this full episode by going to patreon.com slash runoutpodcast and becoming a rope gun today. You get bonus material and also support the runout's ability to push back the status quo without the blunt edge of sponsorship mucking it up. That's patreon.com slash runoutpodcast to support the spray. On today's final bit, we feature episode 88's charming guest, Jeff Jackson in a recent garage jam on Maui. This shaggy blues tune features Jeff on blues harp, fellow root developer Coco Dave Elberg on guitar, and Brad Falcon on guitar as well. We give you Baz's Barn Jam. This is Barnyard Session, take one.
You've just finished another episode of the Runout Podcast. I'm Andrew Bisharat, and you can reach me at andrew at runoutpodcast.com. And I'm Chris Kalous, and you can reach me at andrew at runoutpodcast.com. <laughs> Dude, come on. <laughs> because Chris at runoutpodcast.com is where emails go to die. That's true. We also have a Patreon that you can support our show at, and it's runoutpodcast.patreon.runoutpodcast.com. No, 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 no. It's patreon.com slash runoutpodcast. Yes. <laughs> if you dream of sending 514 every month for the rest of your life, you should go and sign up at patreon slash runoutpodcast.com. No, pot.com slash runoutpodcast. Something like that. Give us some money. Give us some money.